Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to this Northland Power conference call to discuss the 2021 second quarter results. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At the time, if you have a question, please press star 1 on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded Thursday, August 12, 2021 at 10 a.m. Conducting this call for Northland Power are Mike Crawley, President and Chief Executive Officer, Pauline Alin Chandani, Chief Financial Officer, and Wasim Khalil, Senior Director of Investor Relations and Strategy. Before we begin, Northland's management has asked me to remind listeners that all figures presented are in Canadian dollars and to caution that certain information presented and responses to questions may contain forward-looking statements that include assumptions and are subject to various risks. Actual results may differ materially from management's expected or forecasted results. Please read the forward-looking statement section in yesterday's news release announcing Northland Power's results and be guided by its contents in making investment decisions or recommendations. The release is available at www.northlandpower.com. I will now turn the call over to Mike Crowley. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. This morning, we will review our second quarter 2021 financial and operating results. Following our prepared remarks, we will look forward to taking questions from analysts. So to kick things off, we want to reiterate that the health and safety of our employees and our stakeholders comes first. Through diligent planning and rigorous adherence to health protocols, we have maintained high levels of facility availability, delivering essential supply of energy to consumers and businesses in Europe, Canada, and Colombia. First, looking at our financial results for the second quarter, we reported adjusted EBITDA of $203 million compared to $227 million in 2020, representing a 10% decrease. Our free cash flow of $6 million was 68% lower compared to $17 million in 2020. On a per share basis, free cash flow was $0.03 cents this quarter compared to $0.09 cents in 2020. Our financial results in the quarter were impacted by the weakness in the wind resources at our offshore wind facilities. Year to date, we have seen consistently low wind resource with generation trending well below long-term averages. In fact, this has been one of the weakest periods on record for offshore wind in the North Sea. In addition, to a lesser extent, performance in the quarter was impacted by lower production and cash flow at our North Sea 1 facility due to the bearing issue we had pre previously identified. This issue is also expected to impact our full year 2021 financial performance. 
A component design issue has been identified on a number of wind turbines, leading to premature failure of the rotor shaft bearings, thus requiring replacement. As a result, we have reduced the output on a small number of turbines at Nord C1 while our teams mobilized to replace the rotor shaft assembly on those turbines requiring the most immediate attention. Northland will undertake a broader replacement campaign starting in 2022 and extending into 2023 to replace the rotor shaft assembly on all 54 turbines. Pauline will provide a bit more detail on the financial numbers later in the call. Despite these issues impacting our near-term financial results, they do not deter from our long-term objectives. As reported in our press release yesterday, we continue to execute on the key priorities to further enhance our development portfolio and position ourselves to achieve our long-term growth and diversification objectives. Northland has a growing global footprint, uh, positioning us in key renewable markets around the world. Execution on our growth objectives in each of these key markets will ensure we remain in a strong competitive position enabling us to be a major player in the accelerating global build-out of renewables. As announced yesterday, we are pleased to have closed the acquisition of the Spanish onshore renewables portfolio, which adds 551 megawatts of operating capacity to Northland's portfolio, bringing it to over 3.2 gigawatts gross. This portfolio aligns well with our priorities and helps to diversify our asset base by adding high-quality, regulated cash flow to our business. Furthermore, the acquisition expands our presence in Europe and establishes Northland as a top 10 renewables operator in Spain. In Poland, we progressed with our partner on the Baltic Offshore Wind Project, which was awarded a 25-year contract for difference offtake agreement with the Polish government at a rate of 319.6 Zlowski uh, per megawatt hour, or about 70 euro per megawatt hour. Baltic Power provides Northland with a 49% interest in a mid-stage offshore wind project with the potential for up to 1,200 megawatts of capacity, which will be built in the Polish Baltic Sea in the middle part of this decade. We expect to reach financial close for Baltic Power in 2023 with commercial operations in 2026 which fits nicely with our other offshore wind projects in Asia. Turning to our other development and construction projects, I want to provide a brief update on the various projects we have underway. First, touching on our New York wind onshore projects, in the second quarter, two of the projects, Ball Hill and Blue Stone, successfully achieved financial close. Both projects have secured green financing in the form of a non-recourse project loans, tax equity bridge, and letters of credit with a consortium of lenders totaling U.S. $381 million or about $476 million Canadian. We expect to secure permanent tax equity investments for the two projects in 2022. Construction is underway with commercial operations for the two projects expected by late 2022. Our third 100-megawatt New York onshore wind project which has embedded battery storage, Highbridge, is under active development. Subsequent to the quarter, Northland's 16-megawatt Helio Solar Project in Columbia also achieved financial close. The project secured a non-recourse green loan, and with construction underway, commercial operations are expected in the first quarter of 2022. 
Helios represents Northland's first development project in Colombia, which capitalizes on EPSA's grandfathered rights, allowing EPSA to expand into energy generation in Colombia. Helios will serve the power needs of non-regulated municipal, commercial, and industrial customers. In July, the Highlong Offshore Wind Project received an amendment to the project's environmental impact assessment from Taiwan's Environmental Protection Agency to accommodate a larger 14-megawatt turbine with longer blade lengths. This amendment allows Hailong to complete further field work to improve wind generation yields through a more efficient and productive layout over and above the benefit of this larger turbine. The amendment is a further step forward following the confirmation of the Industrial Relevance Plan, or the IRP, that the project received in April, which sets out Northland's commitments to local supply chain and procurement, making the achievement of a significant, making this the achievement of a significant milestone for the project. These milestones further advance the project closer to financial close, which we expect to occur in the second half of 2022. The Highlong team continues to make progress towards securing corporate offtake power purchase agreements for the remaining 744 megawatt allocation secured under the auction process. At La Lucha, the physical construction of the solar facilities is complete. However, activities relating to the energization of the project continue to be delayed. In order to achieve commercial operations, the facility requires energization followed by testing. But due to administrative backlogs resulting primarily from COVID-19, the energization and testing have been delayed. Efforts to achieve energization continue with Northland working with Mexican authorities and other private power producers who are experiencing similar issues. While timelines remain uncertain, Northland expects commercial operations at La Lucha to commence in early 2022. Efforts to secure commercial offtake and project financing are expected to be finalized after commercial operations. So all in all, a very busy quarter, particularly from a growth perspective. These activities further enhance our competitive positioning moving forward. I will now turn the call over to Pauline for a more detailed review of our financial results. Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everyone. Last night, Northland Power released operating and financial results for the second quarter of 2021. In the quarter, we generated adjusted EBITDA of approximately $203 million, which was a decrease of $24 million, or 10% from the $227 million we generated in the second quarter of 2020. The main factors leading in the year-over-year decrease was a lower wind resource at the offshore facilities and lower contribution from our efficient natural gas facilities due to a planned maintenance outage at North Battleford. With respect to free cash flow, Northland generated approximately $6 million in the quarter. This was a decrease of approximately $12 million, or 68% compared to the prior year. Similar to adjusted EBITDA, the largest drivers of the year-over-year decrease in free cash flow was the lower offshore wind resource in the quarter and the planned maintenance, as previously discussed, which together resulted in a decline of approximately $14 million. While the second quarter is typically a weaker quarter for offshore wind resource, the results for this quarter across all three facilities was below the prior year and well below the long-term average, resulting in lower financial performance across all our reported metrics. 
These items were offset by approximately $10 million of contribution resulting from lower net financing costs due to lower interest costs on our loan facilities. For adjusted free cash flow, we generated $22 million in the quarter compared to $38 million in the same period a year ago. The factors leading to a $16 million decrease were the same factors impacting free cash flow, with the difference being lower growth expense growth expenditures in 2021 of approximately $4 million. Just to remind everyone, Northland's adjusted free cash flow excludes growth-related expenditures from free cash flow. Management believes adjusted free cash flow provides a relevant presentation of cash flow generated from the business before investment-related decisions and is a meaningful measure of Northland's ability to generate cash flow after ongoing obligations to reinvest in growth and fund our dividends. On a per-share basis, these figures translated into free cash flow of $0.03 in the quarter compared to $0.09 last year and adjusted free cash flow of $0.10 in the quarter compared to $0.19 last year. Our rolling four-quarter free cash flow and adjusted free cash flow pay ratios calculated on a cash dividend basis were 70% and 56% respectively. This compares to ratios of 62% and 54% for the respective prior year periods. The increase in both net payout ratios was primarily due to lower free cash flow and adjusted free cash flow, and the effect of new common shares issued in the quarter, partially offset by proceeds from the the dividend reinvestment program, which was reinstated in September of last year. I want to take a moment to discuss a couple of items that affected our financial results in the quarter and will also impact results for the second half of 2021, namely the bearing issues at North Say One and our decision to unwind the APX hedges at Gemini. First on North Say One, as Mike outlined in his comments, Northland is proceeding with a campaign to replace the rotor shaft bearings on all turbines, which has already started and expected to continue in phases through to 2023. As a result of this replacement campaign, there may be instances where turbines may need to be curtailed, potentially leading to lost revenues during those periods. Based on current estimates and projections, the potential loss in revenue in 2021 is currently expected to be approximately $11 million. We continue to assess the potential impacts from this issue in 2022 and 2023 and will provide updates as we issue guidance for next year. The total estimated capital cost for replacing all of the turbines is 65 million euros. The majority of this cost will be covered by the remaining 54 million euro warranty bond received in 2020 as part of the settlement relating to the outstanding warranty obligations of North Day One's turbine manufacturer. The impact to Northen will be at its 85% proportionate interest. Turning to Gemini and our APX hedges, As communicated last quarter, we elected to unwind the hedges we had in place for Gemini that were originally put in place during the second quarter of 2020. These hedges were intended to protect against a continued decline in the APX price below the 44 euro per megawatt contracted price that was experienced due to COVID-19 demand factors. Given the strengthening in the APX price earlier this year as economic activity rebounded and to limit lost SDE subsidy revenue due to the higher APX price, in the second quarter of this year, we entered into offsetting derivative contracts, essentially crystallizing the losses. 
As a result, Northland incurred costs amounting to $25 million for the second half of 2021, $19 million for 2022, and $9 million for 2023. There will be no further losses beyond these amounts related to the hedges. In order to minimize further fluctuations in market revenue in Gemini, subsequent to year-end, we purchased APX put contracts against the majority of our exposure for the remaining of 2021 and 2022 to protect our cash flows should the APX price fall below the SDE4 price. These put options were entered into with a strike price of approximately equal to the SDE floor and only became commercially viable in 2021 as the APX increased substantially above the SDE floor. The total cost of the puts was approximately 2 million euros. These puts were at a relatively low cost given the widespread between the current APX price of approximately 100 euro and the SDE floor price. We intend to enter into further put contracts as appropriate for future years in accordance with our risk management policy. Turning to our balance sheet and liquidity, Northland remains in a very strong position with ample liquidity to help fund our identified development initiatives. At the end of the quarter, we had access to $1.4 billion of cash and liquidity comprised of $838 million of proceeds under our syndicated revolving facility and $607 million of corporate cash on hand following the completion of the share offering executed in mid-April. On August 11th, $522 million of cash was used to fund the purchase price consideration for the Spanish portfolio. We continue to look at opportunities to support our growth initiatives by raising capital from existing assets and have executed on a number of financial optimizations that have provided increased liquidity for the company at an attractive cost. Subsequent to June 30th, we restructured and upsized the senior debt at some of our Canadian solar facilities that resulted in a one-time distribution of $29 million and a reduction of the weighted average all-in rate from 5.4% to 4.4%. Year-to-date, we have raised over $100 million of liquidity through financing optimizations of existing assets to fund growth. We are currently working on refinancing efforts for EBSA to extend and upsize the refinancing and also to restructure the financing to help manage our foreign exchange exposure. We expect to complete the financing this year. In February, we announced our green financing framework to allow the company and our subsidiaries to issue green bonds corporate and project-level loans, and other financing instruments for eligible green projects. The focus of the green financing initiatives is to support climate change mitigation efforts by developing and investing in renewable energy infrastructure assets that increase green energy production. This quarter, we successfully executed our two first green financings with onshore wind projects in New York State and the LEO Solar Project in Columbia the latter being one of the first renewable project financings in the country. Both projects secured green construction financings, which have been designated as such by their respective lenders. In regards to our financial outlook for 2021, we expect to achieve the low end of guidance issued in February for both adjusted EBITDA and free cash flow per share. For adjusted free cash flow, the expected range has been revised. This is primarily as a result of the historically low wind resource experience at the offshore wind facilities during the first half of the year and the estimate of lost revenue at Nordsea 1 this year due to the rotor shaft assembly replacements. This updated expectation assumes an offshore wind resource in the second half of 21 that is closer to long-term averages 
and also reflects a higher level of development costs being capitalized on projects that have met our capitalization criteria. Consequently, the capitalization of these development costs has resulted in lower expense growth expenditures this year compared to original expectations. The expectation for adjusted free cash flow per share for 2021 is now in the range of $1.60 to $1.70 per share. This is a change from the original guidance range of $1.80 to $2 per share issued in February as a result of the same factors impacting free cash flow with the exception of changes in expense growth expenditures as previously discussed. Year to date, we have spent a total of $137 million to advance development projects, including $30 million expense through the P&L and $107 million of DevEx capitalized through the balance sheet, the latter of which relates to Baltic Power, Highlong, New York Wind, and Elios. These projects position us well for strong future growth in long-term cash flow sustainability and diversification. With that, I will now turn the call back over to Mike for his concluding remarks. Thank you, Pauline. 2021 thus far has presented some challenges, but it also has presented a large number of opportunities to grow our portfolio, enhance our development pipeline, and our competitive positioning. We continue to work tirelessly to ensure we position ourselves as a strong competitor, securing positions in key markets to support our future growth within offshore wind, but also establishing and growing our presence in onshore renewables with our Spain acquisition and U.S. onshore wind projects achieving financial close this past quarter. This concludes our prepared remarks. We'd now be prepared to happy to take questions from our analysts. Please open the line for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to register a question, please press star 1 on your telephone. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the pound key. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before entering your request. One moment, please, for the first question. Our first uh, question comes from the line of uh, Matt uh, Taylor of Tudor Pickering Hall. Please proceed with your question. Hey, thanks for taking my questions here. Uh, I just wanted to throw it off on offshore. Mike, you mentioned North Sea conditions are at historic lows. Uh, can, you, can you provide some color on, on what gives you confidence these conditions are, are more short-term versus structural, given, I mean, we're starting to see extreme weather patterns, right, such as warmer weather, which could reduce capacity factors going forward? Yeah, I mean, if, if we uh, uh, if we dialed the clock back uh, this time last year, we were coming off uh, a really strong first half of the year and a particularly strong first quarter last year, which I think was one of the strongest that we'd ever had in terms of North Sea uh, production from our North Sea facilities. Uh, so I think it's just the normal uh, fluctuations uh, in wind. Uh, we we uh, give guidance and budget on a P50 basis, but there's obviously P90 years and there's uh, P10 years as well and P90 quarters and P10 quarters. So uh, I think we, we've seen a, certainly a weak first half, particularly weak first quarter, um, but we uh, uh, don't see anything, as you say, that's, that's, that, 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 as you're asking, that is, is structural in terms of the energy or the wind resource in the North Sea. Great. Thanks, Mike. And then maybe a question for you, Pauline, on the bearings issue. 
just looking at the numbers from your impact for the first eight bearings at 11 million or so, is it fair to use that as a rough estimate for the remaining 46 or or are there some significant differences in, in the bearings, the types of turbines, distance, or other things that we should be thinking about how that revenue impact could be different? Yeah, the biggest unknown variable is weather, um, and, and that's what makes it hard to provide an estimate um, today. I think we'll have better ranges as we move forward with the current replacements um, to, to have a better replacement, a better estimate of, of um, you know, future, but even then, um, it will be subject to, to conditions. I'd say the only thing I'd add to that is, I mean, what our team in, in Hamburg has done, a, in, in my view, a very good job of is, is getting on this uh, very quickly. Uh, so both in terms of derating uh, the turbines that that showed the, the initial impact uh, of, the, of this issue with the, the, the main bearings. And so that allowed us to, uh, I, I think, extend their, their, their production and their performance longer and make sure that they were able to operate through uh, through the winter, uh, the highest productive, productive quarter. Uh, and they've also uh, moved quickly uh, to replace the, the most affected turbines, uh, the main bearing assemblies on the most affected turbines this year, which uh, uh, in terms of kind of procurement activities and, and, and securing vessels uh, from an offshore wind standpoint and is, is very rapid. So they've, they've been able to, I think, mitigate the, the negative impacts of this uh, very well, and they're, they're already well ahead of uh, the game in terms of procurement activities and planning uh, for the 2022 campaign. Great. Thanks. Thanks for that, Keller. And then last one, if I may, with Mike, now with Spain closed, has your view on timing changed at all in finding new onshore growth? Uh, where you're seeing unexpected headwinds here in your offshore business over the next two years, and, and obviously there's a long-term delay from EBITDA uh, on your development backlog. I'm just wondering if, if you're timing on, on finding bolt-ons in Spain or, or, or doing other acquisitions on the onshore front. No, I mean, we're, we're moving along uh, uh, both in uh, kind of our target markets in the northeast of the U.S., in Spain. Uh, we've previously disclosed that we've got a an interest in onshore renewables in select Eastern European markets as well. So we're actively pursuing opportunities, uh, both development uh, and potentially M&A opportunities in each of those uh, each of those three areas right now, as well as uh, in Colombia too. And, and we referenced uh, uh, the first project that we've uh, uh, brought to construction in, in Colombia, the Helios project. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Rupert Murr with National Bank. Please proceed with your question. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Rupert. So getting back to the, uh, the bearing repairs at Nordsea, can, can you explain the, the warranty situation there and, and how the cost of the repairs will flow through the balance sheet at uh, Northland following your, your warranty settlement? Yeah, yeah, let me start, and then I'll head it, hand it off to Pauline. So. Uh, when Senvian uh, went insolvent, uh, I guess about a year and a half ago, or a bit, uh, they we uh, we had already. Uh, well, let me dial back even further. When we uh, entered into the turbine supply agreement and the service contract with Senvian originally for the North Sea One project, 
the team that negotiated that made sure that there was a, a bond put in place to backstop uh, Sanvian's warranty and Sanvian's uh, service commitments uh, under the, the service contract that went with the turbine sale. So that, uh, I think, was looking back, was, was a prudent move. Uh, when Sanvian went insolvent, uh, we were able to uh, secure the funds from that, that bond, uh, and they were repatriated to ourselves and repatriated to our 15% our partner on the project, RWE. A small portion was left within the project as well. Uh, so the majority of the costs to replace the main bearing assemblies over the next, uh, call it year and a half, uh, will be covered by the proceeds of this uh, bond that we've uh, that we've received, and that, that those funds are are with Northland now. Um, maybe we'll turn to Pauline to describe how it works its way through our financial statement. Yeah, so we will um, we will capitalize the new parts um, at their estimated long term um, useful life, and we will accelerate amortization the old parts between um, which have a useful life now of approximately zero to two years. So that's how they will be treated on balance sheet on P&L. And then we, within free cash flow, as, as Mike discussed, which, which mirrors you know, the actual um, um, cash, um, is that the 65 million euro uh, replacement costs will be offset mostly by the 54 million warranty bond, but there will be an 11 million dollar uh, euro shortfall to our free cash flow um, from now until 2023. Um, uh, with the, as, as the, the proceeds are, are not sufficient to cover the, the full replacement amount. Over and above that, um, there will be uh, lost revenues uh, in, in the periods as they are replaced. And, and Rupert, I mean, and that's the, been the key to how we've responded to this situation is uh, to make sure that we got ahead of it as much as possible in order to minimize the lost revenue, because that's obviously what's not going to be covered by right. uh, the bond proceeds. So by uh, moving forward and, and replacing eight of the most uh, affected turbines this year to ensure that they can then go back to normal operations uh, before the end of this year and indeed before the end of September uh, was important so that we can capture all of the, uh, the, the higher wind resource through, uh, through the last quarter of, of this year. And then secondly, uh, as I said earlier to Matt, moving forward with the procurement for 2022 uh, as quickly as we could uh, and also securing vessels so that we can optimize uh, the use of, the, of weather windows in 2022 to get any replacements done as quickly as possible. And the final piece was uh, being very proactive uh, in, uh, in derating. Uh, turbines that are showing uh, any significant impact so that we can extend their life until we have the weather window to actually uh, do the replacement. Okay, that's, that's great color. Thank you. Uh, secondly, looking at, at high long, so you're going to move to larger turbines there. Can you give us some color on the impact that could have on the, the yield and the economics uh, of, of the project? Well, it, it certainly en enhances uh, the project overall. You, you uh, need, obviously, fewer locations. Uh, it doesn't uh, necessarily increase the overall capacity. And in fact, I think it may, uh, by a small amount, reduce the capacity just in terms of how you work out the design. Um, but it, uh, in the long run, I think, uh, reduces uh, the risk uh, on construction, so you have a, a much smaller number of locations 
where we have to construct. So that helps with, uh, again, on construction with weather windows. Uh, and it just reduces your, your, your risk in construction having fewer uh, jackets to install and fewer turbines to install. And the same holds true for operations moving forward on the facility. Uh, it significantly reduces your, your, your risk of downtime to the extent that uh, you only have to go out to uh, uh, roughly 60% uh, of the turbines that you would have had to go out to uh, otherwise. So th th those, are the, those are two key benefits. Uh, in terms of the, the, the economics in the project, uh, I mean, we obviously have been planning to move forward with this larger turbine for uh, some time, but we've been working with uh, through the EIA process, the environmental assessment process in Taiwan, to get the formal uh, confirmation on that. So, our, uh, in terms of how we've been modeling the project, we've been we've been modeling the project with this larger turbine for some time. Okay, and and on that that turbine, uh, can you give us an update on what you might be seeing um, with with inflation and construction costs uh, since since we last had an update? Uh, so we, I mean, the, the, you're speaking to commodity or steel costs? Yeah, yeah of course. We're yeah. hearing some turbine manufacturers talking about cost pressure. Are, are you starting to see that now? Uh, so, so, I mean, we, we get regular updates. We have a, a preferred supplier agreement with uh, Siemens Gamesa on the project. So uh, we've got an iterative process, almost like an open book process, where we, uh, at certain Milestones will receive new new updates on pricing, and then we'll, we'll continue to work with them to optimize the uh, the uh, the procurement through their their supply chain in Taiwan. Um, I, we have certainly seen uh, some impact in terms of increased steel prices, but we are not locking in steel prices until financial close, which, as we said in the the the, the introduction. Introductory remarks is is not till the second half of 2022. Uh, what we are seeing is is forecasts indicating that uh, the expectation is that steel prices uh, for most uh, in the, you know sector observers will will decline, and that you've seen kind of a uh, somewhat uh, short-term increase in steel prices as demand recovered quickly in a number of markets post-COVID lockdowns, uh, but the capacity. Uh, was not able to keep up with that sudden increase in demand, but now you're seeing more capacity come online. So we would expect to see prices uh, return to, to more, uh, more typical levels over the next 6 to 12 months. And as I say, we're not looking to close financing uh, for another year. Thank you. I'll, I'll leave it there. Our next question comes from the line of uh, David Gazada with Raymond James. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, my my first question, just on uh, Nord C two. I'm I'm curious uh, if there's just any update there. I, I realize that the uh, the auction hasn't happened yet, but I believe you uh, hired consultants to optimize. Uh, the layout. I think I read that somewhere. Just curious um, if, you, if there have been any changes to that project as you uh, approach the RFP. No, I mean uh, what we're saying, what we're indicating in, the, in this quarter is that we intend to exercise our step-in rights. To exercise our step-in rights, we need to bid into the procurement. Uh, so um, that's that's why you're reading, obviously, that we're we're taking all necessary steps to put together a a solid uh, bid and a solid uh, submission into the procurement. Uh, so either our submission will be uh, successful in that procurement, 
or we will exercise our step in rights, uh, which will allow us to step into what other bid may have been may have been successful in that procurement. Okay, great. That's helpful. Thank you. And then maybe just one other one for me on uh, on the outlook in Columbia for generation. I believe there's uh, there's an RFP uh, upcoming there uh, in October. Um, and just curious if you if you uh, if you have any thoughts on whether or not you may participate in that. We're certainly tracking what's going on in Colombia. I mean, it's, it's an exciting market for renewables, not just you know, over the next two or three months, but over the next uh, five or ten years. Uh, it's the one market in, in Latin America where there really hasn't been a significant build-out of wind and solar, but that, as you point out, is and there's procurements being put in place, and there's also demand uh, for renewables from uh, corporate uh, and uh, customers and municipal uh, customers as well. So um, we're looking at a number of opportunities, but we don't have anything to uh, uh, indicate about that particular procurement at this point. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Mike. I'll get back in the queue. Our next question comes from the line of Nelson Ning from RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Uh, great, thanks, and good morning, everyone. Um, my first question just relates to the wind resource. Um, so obviously it was a weak uh, first half, but when I was looking at the um, Q2 production, it seems like Gemini and Nord C1 were below average, but uh, Debu was about 8% above the long-term average. Like, was there something specific going on at Debu, or like all, all three facilities are roughly in the same area, right? Yeah, the um, uh, they're they're all in in close proximity to each other. Have the same uh, the same wind regime. Um, with respect to uh, Debu, I'll just uh, turn it over to Wasim, who's who's wired. He's got the details on that. Hey Nelson, yeah. So if you recall uh, Q2 last year, there were some uh, unscheduled grid outages at at Dojbu, which we are not seeing this year, so hence you're seeing a higher level year-over-year um, year, uh, at, at Deutsche Boot because of that grid outage, but otherwise everything else is, is the same across all three facilities. Okay, got it. Um, and then just a quick one on uh, the uh, bearings replacement at Nord C1. So I guess big picture, um, how long do bearings typically last? Like, w Was this something that would have been replaced like in a major maintenance, maybe like 10 years down the road, but they have to be replaced now? Or could you just give a bit more color in terms of um, what was expected versus what was actual? Yeah, they certainly would have been expected to last uh, at least for 10 years. So so it, it is uh, uh, certainly a, a, a fabrication or a design error. Uh, the uh, There's a... a I mean, we are pursuing a detailed root cause analysis, um, uh, but as I said earlier, we've mobilized uh, prior to getting all the detail and all the information from that root cause analysis because it's abundantly clear to us already uh, that the uh, that there's a, a defect across all of them. And uh, the key key to responding to this, Nelson, is is to to make sure that we minimize uh, the lost revenue in terms of the the capital costs of the replacement, as, as Pauline said, the majority of that 
uh, will be covered by the bond proceeds. The key is to, to minimize the lost revenue, and that's why we've moved so quickly uh, to replace him. But, but certainly, uh, they, they should not have failed this early in the process. Okay. Got and, it. And, and, and to add one point to that, uh, without uh, going into a lot of detail on it, we, we do have high high degree of confidence on the replacement design uh, based on what we've uh, that we've seen this design used on other uh, turbines, other Sanvian turbines uh, that have been in production much, much longer without any sign of degradation. Okay. So just to clarify, this is more than just the bearings, right? It's the whole, like it's a bigger part of the structure or, or when you say replacing bearings? Like what you have to that? take out the whole assembly and, and replace the whole assembly that, that houses the, the, the bearings, but the the uh, the defect is in uh, in the coating on the bearing, and which is where the de degradation is occurring. Okay, got it. Um, and then just moving on to my next question: um, In Mexico, you uh, talked about the uh, the administrative delay and how the the completion of the project might get pushed into next year. So, like, given that the facility is like physically completed, could you actually produce power and sell it behind the fence? Or is there anything you can do while, like, while the facility is completed but not COD'd? We, we certainly could. I mean, in theory, yeah, you could, you could produce power uh, behind the meter, in other words, a non-grid connected energy, um, which if, if we felt that there was a, a much longer delay, uh, is probably something that we would look at. But uh, uh, given our view that, that we should be able to get the facility connected uh, by early 2022 at this point and, and delivering energy into the grid, uh, that is the, uh, you know, the best course of action in terms of getting revenue uh, from the facility and, and having the facility uh, uh, get an attractive return on investment. Okay. And so like, I'm not that close to the politics in Mexico, but like, is this – Simply an administrative delay, or is, is is politics involved? And like I know, there's uh, like like there's a view that the government is not that favorable towards renewables. So is this there? Is this like a delay tactic, or is this just purely an admin delay? Most of it is related to COVID nineteen, and so far as uh, uh, everything has been moving very slowly uh, through both. Uh, on, on land trans, I mean, without going into the detail, on, on just a number of uh, permits required to get the project into service, uh, everything has moved slowly because uh, a number of government offices would shut down for extended periods uh, of time, and so you wouldn't. You, we were delayed for a significant amount of time uh, getting getting some of those permits uh, through. Uh, I think we're close on uh, on one of the final permits that we need, but uh, uh, it will still take a bit longer to get that that through the whole process. So most of it is related to just the the machinery of government slowing down uh, due to COVID shutdowns. Um, I, w I think what you're you're pro you're certainly I mean picking up some of the the pronouncements from the governments about renewables, or from particularly from the administration or the the, the president about renewables. I would say what that does is it, it slows down the machinery of government a bit more in terms of the, 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 uh, the bureaucrats, in terms of making sure that all T's are crossed, all dies are audited on any permit, uh, but it's nothing in our view more than that. There's about 30 other projects that are in the same sort of situation as we are, uh, and we know a lot of these developers, they're, they're Canadian, U.S. Uh, developers that we know, and uh, 
and funds that we're familiar with, they're going through the same sort of same sort of process. So uh, a number of them have come out the other end of it too. Uh, so it just uh, it's just a matter of it takes longer than uh, than it should, but uh, but that's the way it is. Okay, and then just one last question before I get back in the queue. Um, in terms of the uh, New York Wind projects, um, like after, so, so you have some attractive uh, bridge debt in place. Uh, will there be any longer-term project-level debt after the project is completed, or will it just be uh, tax equity? Uh, no, we are looking at um, once the, the C plus two, we've got a plus two-year tail on the construction financing. We'd be looking to do, uh, right now the plan is to do a 20-year bond takeout um, on, on those projects. It's a matching tenor to, to term of financing. Okay, got it. Thanks a lot. I'll leave it there. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Sean Stewart with TD Securities. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, Pauline, a question on refinancing opportunities. You, you touched on the progress for the solar facilities and, and plans for EBSA. Do you have any other plans or opportunities across other parts of your portfolio? And I, I look at some of the legacy Canadian wind assets that look like they have higher cost debt. Are, are there more opportunities across the portfolio for refinancing? Yes, there are, there are other opportunities for refinancing. I think it's still a bit early, but we would uh, we would hope um, that by end of this year, early next year, to have a good better position on um, where there would be potential to optimize. Generally, I would say you know market conditions have uh, improved quite significantly for offshore wind. Some of the, the, the T's and C's that we would have negotiated a few years ago have now materially improved. So um, I think there are opportunities for us, but probably a bit too early to say uh, today. Okay, uh, thanks for that. And the, the broader one gigawatt target for, for U.S. capacity, Mike, can you give us some context? Does that all come from additional prospective projects in New York? Do you have broader growth aspirations beyond that state? Does M&A factor into that target at all? Uh, any detail you can give us on that, that longer-term objective? Yeah, it's, it's broader than New York. I mean, listen, we, we like New York a lot because there's going to be a lot of growth the next few years. I think they're going to be procuring somewhere in the order of three gigawatts a year for the next several years. Um, and they got nice, you know, good long-term 20-year contracts, uh, which is Pauline just mentioned would support a, a bond financing nicely too, a 20-year bond financing. So from from our standpoint, it's uh, those are those are those are good good projects, good investments for Northland. Um, but beyond that, the other markets that we'd be looking at would be uh, 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 New England, certain uh, areas of PGM. Uh, we have looked at California before. Um, so generally markets where we uh, believe we can secure uh, long-term contracts that are either government-backed or with utilities, uh, in some cases C&I, but generally looking for uh, markets where we can secure uh, long-term contracts to uh, underpin our investments. But those would be the main markets that we'd, looking, we'd be looking at. Um, principally development, but, but some, uh, some M&A is certainly possible. Understood. Okay, that's all I have for now. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Ben Sam with VMO. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thanks. Good morning. 
on your packets, you've uh, you've referenced uh, Romania uh, in, in your uh, your earnings release, and I'm not sure you mentioned this uh, earlier, Mike, in your remarks. But can you re remind us uh, uh, what your positioning is uh, in, in that uh, region? Yeah, I mean, what we what we've disclosed before in uh, I think some of these calls is that we are interested in Eastern Europe for. Uh, renewables overall. So we, we moved forward with offshore the offshore wind project in Poland, as you know, Baltic Power, which we talked about today, and that we also have interest in certain uh, in, in onshore renewables in uh, in certain markets in Eastern Europe. And it's it's not all that. Uh, uh, I, mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's simply that the, those are the markets in in Europe that are. are slowest or the latest to decarbonize, and so we think there will be some good opportunities, particularly in EU countries, uh, for uh, renewable uh, investment going forward and renewable development going forward. But, uh, but that's really all we've talked about. Okay. So you, so you actually have uh, some development sites there versus, versus uh, just more saying that's somewhere you want to get into. Yeah, I mean, any, any, certainly, aside from Baltic Power, of course, uh, any onshore development would be uh, at a relatively early stage that we'd be looking at, uh, participating in, uh, in, uh, in, in those markets. And we referred to, uh, certainly in, uh, in our disclosure to uh, looking at Romanian opportunities, but I'd, I'd say those would be at an early stage. Yeah, okay. The, uh, the, the volatility offshore when in the quarter, uh, Certainly, you, you know, you've been in renewable business for a long time. You look through all of this, investors should look through it. Uh, when you think about uh, your exposure there, 60%, does, does this make you really rethink about your sources of cash flow, your diversification strategy, or, or is this more, you know, is this, this is part of the business, let's, let's normalize all of this and, and nothing's changed from that perspective? If you could, I got to apologize, if you could repeat the, uh, I haven't got very good sound this whole call on my, my ear, so could you repeat the question again? Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'm curious on your thoughts on uh, uh, the sources, your cash flows, and your, your willingness to, to maybe accelerate diversification in, in the context of, of your exposure to offshore wind in the North Sea and in the bulk that we saw this quarter. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, so, 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 I mean, what we, what you've seen, and we've talked about this, uh, you know, in previous calls, is, uh, I mean, we've been making the deliberate steps to uh, diversify ourselves. If this is your question, I think, it diversifies our, ourselves uh, away from the the concentration that we have in in offshore wind in the North Sea. So, the EBSA uh, investment in Colombia was was was. That was one of the uh, 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 benefits of that of that transaction. It helped to diversify ourselves away or, or lessen our concentration. Uh, and then, of course, come 2025, uh, we would be seeing High Long begin to uh, uh, deliver uh, deliver uh, cash flow, and so that will further and significantly diversify ourselves. Uh, Away, or at least lessen the concentration, and the same thing. Why we're developing in uh, in New York State as well, both wind and and uh, also doing some early stage solar development. So, so no, the uh, the 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 overall in terms of our development uh, focus, it is to uh, diversify ourselves uh, 
uh, globally and uh, and minimize any concentration risk, which right now our concentration expo our concentration is obviously in the North Sea. So we, we would be moving to to less than that. Okay, makes sense. And maybe maybe a detailed question on North Sea and, and the accounting. The uh, when you got the warranty settlement, you you had I think you had started to amortize some of the the benefits from that to offset the higher opex cost. So my question now is, are you changing the accounting policy on that, or you're accelerating that uh, that benefit? And is does this warrant a revisit of your your opex on maintenance for North Sea since you're doing it uh, yourself now? Uh, so I'll answer the the first question. So it's it's not it's not a change in policy. It's more a change in estimate. So it's a it's a prospective view. Uh, you know, we would have thought we would have amortized that bond, uh, the proceeds over nine years, um, and now we're amortizing it over a shorter period. Um, and on the opex. Um, well, on the opex, I mean, this is a. I mean, <laughs> I mean listen, it, it was not a strategy, as you know, to uh, self perform. Uh, the turbine maintenance on Nord C1. Uh, we, we were thankfully moved quickly to hire all of the Senvian techs and were able to take over the turbine maintenance very quickly with the insolvency of, of Senvian. And we've actually had higher availability than I think we had with Senvian prior to that until this issue uh, with the main bearing assembly surfaced. But we would, I don't think we would have been able to actually respond as quickly as we have to the issue and, and had such visibility if we weren't uh, self-performing on the turbine maintenance. It's not to say we could, we'd be looking to do that as a strategy going forward, but I'm just saying it, it's, a, uh, it's one of the benefits of, of a circumstance that we didn't think we'd find ourselves in to, but I think it's, it's served as well in terms of being able to respond quickly and it will minimize significantly any revenue impact from uh, uh, from this uh, this failure? Okay, great. And Pauline, to, to clarify, the the acceleration uh, that benefit the free cash was that is that in your your new guidance? Yes. Okay, got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of uh, Mark Jarvie with CIBC. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Um, I want to come back to the long-term average uh, numbers you guys disclosed for offshore wind. I, I think it's more of a of the trailing performance uh, since inception, so maybe not quite LTA in the way we think about it. How have those assets, like Gemini and Nord C1, which have been operating the longest, compared in terms of average production versus maybe the P50 forecast you had uh, at the time of COD? Yeah, so, so what we do on, on all of our facilities is uh, renewable facilities, certainly, is at year three, uh, we take all of the uh, operating data that we have uh, and including uh, any wind resource data that we have, that we would have from the uh, anemometers that are attached to the turbines themselves uh, and combine that with an update of the long-term data that you have from a reference that we would have from the reference uh, MetMast out in the North Sea pull that all together with an, again, independent energy, an IE, uh, independent engineer to pull that all together, and then we recast uh, the energy yield estimate for the facilities moving forward. So we've done that adjustment on Gemini. Uh, we've done it on Nord C1, 
and we will do that at year three on Deutsche Buch. Uh What we've seen uh, is uh, on both Gemini and uh, Nord C1, as I think we disclosed before, a modest reduction in the long-term energy yield estimate for each of the facilities. Uh, and uh, uh, But the one thing to note is that, that from, from Gemini to Nord C1, uh, whatever that modest reduction was, it was even less on Nord C1, and we expect it will be uh, even less, and we'll see if, it is any, if there's any adjustment on Deutsche Buch, which points to the fact that, and you would have picked up some of this from, from Orsted and others' disclosures, that the just the, the science and the uh, methodology behind energy yield assessment on offshore wind facilities has continued to improve as more facilities have been deployed, uh, principally in, in, uh, in the North Sea and around the UK, obviously. That's where the first deployment of offshore wind has been over the last uh, 15 years, but, uh, but the methodology has improved significantly. It's exactly the same thing that happened with onshore wind uh, about 10 years earlier. Uh, just given when when most onshore facilities started getting coming online, so um, so that's that that's a short story. Is is that the, uh, uh, our view and the our, our ability to accurately predict the uh, and forecast the the production from the facilities uh, improves significantly after that three year adjustment uh, is made, and on the kind of uh, the investment in each one of those facilities uh, while that. And on those two facilities, that adjustment was a, was a, a modest downward adjustment on the energy yield. There have been other enhancements uh, on the facilities, uh, including refinancings and other uh, enhancements that we've been able to do uh, with facilities and service re, re, renegotiation of service contracts, for example, that have enhanced the value of those investments. So there's been puts and takes. Got it, Mike. And then just coming back to the Nord Sea 2, and you said you will bid, um, and you'll see where other bidders show up. If there was like a zero subsidy bid, do you have any feel now of, of where the corporate PPA market is, or, or broadly just longer term hedges, um, if you wanted to contract out, which would be, you know, if you stepped in on a zero subsidy bid, just maybe updated views in terms of alternatives, either you win or if you don't, what the other alternatives are now for Nord Sea 2? Yeah, certainly we are actively looking at all possible outcomes, given the fact that we, we certainly know what the economics will be on our bid, but we're looking, given that we've indicated that we intend to step in, uh, we only have come to that decision after analyzing all possible outcomes, including, as you say, a zero-subsidy bid where we would be marketing the energy uh, ourselves, uh, along with a partner on those projects, RWE. Uh, so, yeah, we, we've assessed all options. And there is a, uh, uh, a robust market, uh, corporate uh, offtake market for renewable energy in, in Europe, uh, which has only improved over the last uh, over the last year. Okay, and then uh, my last question is just: if, if you did secure Nord C2, you kind of got the CFD for Baltic Power. When you got to financial close in Taiwan at the end of next year, would you be able to put through a commitment? to Siemens Gamesa or wherever on all those projects to try to get improved pricing, uh, or would that not quite line up uh, in terms of the ability to commit on turbines? Say that again, put through a commitment? I missed what you said. Yeah, I, just, I, I imagine that if, if you had multiple sites, you might get better pricing from Siemens Gamesa as opposed oh, to just... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Would, would yeah. you be in a position at that point to maybe be able to procure turbines for Taiwan, Nord C2, and Baltic Power? 
uh, I, I would put it this way. I mean, we obviously have different partners on, on each project, and they have different uh, timelines. Uh, so I put it this way. The, uh, our, 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 our position in, in, in negotiations uh, with turbine vendors and our ability to get attention from turbine vendors is significantly enhanced by the volume of our offshore wind pipeline and the uh, uh, certainty of our, our that our pipeline will will be converted into uh, into into actual operating projects. So every uh, large project that gets added on uh, enhances uh, our competitive position uh, with uh, with uh, the the three main uh, offshore wind turbine vendors. Got it. That's all the questions I had. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Our next question comes from the line of Najee Baidon with IA Capital. Please proceed with your question. Hi, good morning. Um, just wanted to follow up on a question about Nord C2. Um, let's say it does end up being a zero subsidy bid. What's an acceptable level of motion, merchant exposure, if any, for you for that asset? Yeah, I mean, our, our intention would be to, to in, in some form, to contract uh, the the energy uh, from that uh, from that facility, uh, so if it's a zero subsidy bid and the, there is not uh, any revenue coming from the the German state or the German uh, regulator, then we would look to uh, secure an offtake agreement of some form uh, with an industrial or a, a corporate offtaker. Uh, so in some form, uh, we would look to to contract the. Uh, the energy in order to underpin that investment. Okay. And, and just on, on Poland, um, can you talk about maybe the next steps for that project there, uh, for the approvals of the contracts, and then, um, uh, you know, more broadly thinking about the 2025 auctions, like how, how early do you need to start thinking about that, um, assuming you do want to participate in, in that auction? Well, so, so on, on Baltic Power itself, uh, the, the, the kind of 1.2 or up to 1.2 gigawatt project itself, that uh, project is actively working through uh, uh, permits, procurement, uh, moving towards financial close in 2023, uh, which is uh, really not all that all that far away. So call it 18 to 24 months away. Uh, so there's a on a project to that scale. Um, uh, there's a lot of activities you can imagine going on right now with the uh, the team that we've assembled to deliver that project. Uh, on the uh, future procurements, like the 2025 year, 2025 uh, auctions that have been announced for further offshore wind capacity in Poland, uh, we haven't uh, made any decisions or any disclosures on on what we'll do around that yet. Okay, um, and, and just last question on Poland. I guess uh, too soon to think about more offshore wind. Uh, is it also too soon to think about more onshore renewables? Uh, I, th I think, yeah. I mean, I'd go back to what I said earlier: is that that in general, uh, we would see a significant build out of renewables in Eastern Europe. Uh, it, it's Eastern Europe overall is generally lagged uh, Western Europe. In, in deploying renewables, particularly northwestern Europe. So we think there's uh, going to be a significant deployment of new renewables, both offshore wind and, uh, and onshore renewables. So it's, a, it's an area of, of interest for Northland. Okay, got it. Thank you. 
Mr. Crowley, there are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back to you. Okay. Well, thanks to everybody for joining us today. We're going to hold our next call following the release of our third quarter 2021 results in November. Uh, in the meantime, we thank you for your continued confidence and support. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.